This is Commitment Sunday. It's the Sunday we turn in our pledges, our commitment to uh, give this year. Now, I usually don't talk about money. The last time I did, one of the congregants said, you went from preaching to meddling. <laughs> My prayer is, that, now we're going to have a budget meeting after and present our budget. And budgets are hard to work on, but you know what I'm praying? Is that we have to go back this week and totally redo our budget because our pledges were so incredible. Wouldn't that be a nice thing? Now, last week we talked about our facility. We talked about our ministry here. Uh, and, and that's crucial to keep the operation going. But this week, Thursday night, I went to a missions roundtable. And we had a, a, a missionary there with us from uh, Mexico, John Wilson. And his ministry there in Mexico and in England and in South Africa, building homes, feeding the hungry, educating kids, protecting girls from, from exploitation. What an incredible thing. And we're part of that ministry, along with 16 other ministries that we help support through your generosity. And, and to, 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 to hear that we participate in this kind of work around the world uh, is, is an honor. It's a privilege. So we want you to know, we're asking you to tithe to Palm Desert Community Presbyterian Church. And Palm Desert Community Presbyterian Church tithes to our ministries. So we practice what we preach. So you get to give twice. <laughs> you give to us, and then as a church, we give to the missions. So uh, be generous. Pray that God will um, move your heart and show you how generous he wants you to be. There are pledge cards in the uh, little racks there if you haven't been able to find one and fill one out. During the peak of the COVID scare, it was still fairly early. People were deeply concerned about just where this thing was going to go. I got a call from Our Daily Bread Ministries asking if they could uh, record an interview with me about how Christians should respond in these difficult times, these scary times. Is there any difference between those, how those of us who claim to have a faith in God respond to these times and those who do not know God? And a, th and a passage immediately came to my mind, but I thought, you know, Evan, I need some time to think about this. Call me back in three days. Let me pray about it. Let me talk to some folks about it. Let me just muse on this. What would you say uh, to a nationwide, actually international broadcast about how we should respond to difficult times? Well, after three days, I came back to my initial thought. Because I think one of the most foundational statements in all of Scripture is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because until we get that one down, nothing else in the Bible works. I can read that God forgives my sins. That Jesus came to earth to pay the penalty for my sins. That's a beautiful story. But if I don't trust it, it's just a story. So all of these other things in the Bible begin with that basic foundational reality. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, different translations take this word differently. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. But the word is yadak, know. In all your ways, know him. And so I, I wrestle with it. Why that word? What does Solomon mean by in all your ways, know him? If you're going to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, know him. And I really wrestled with that. That kind it, and I went back to the early days of our marriage. And, and we knew each other, but, you know, dating and all that stuff. But when you live together, you get to know each other in a different way. And I discovered there were some things that, about me that really aggravated Jeanette. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> you know, she grew up. Just outside New York City, she grew up going to the ballet and the opera and, and all that culture. And the only culture I knew was agriculture. <laughs> and, and so I discovered there were some things that I shouldn't do. I was kind of crude and rude and that stuff. Still am, but I improved. But, and there were some things I did that just delighted her. And, and I loved to do the things that made her happy, that just, wow. And I stopped gradually doing the things. And so I think what Solomon is saying is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, be aware of what pleases God. Be aware of what aggravates God. And live a life that honors him. Live a life that acknowledges his presence, his awareness. Now, that's a good concept for COVID. But it's a good concept for any time. It was a good concept for me in the end of September when I got my uh, retirement statement. And saw how much money I had lost. It's a kick in the gut. And then I went grocery shopping, got another kick in the gut. So many of us, during this time, it's unsteady. What's happening? What's happening in the economy? Where's it going to go? If I live another 20 years and it keeps accelerating, I'm, you know, have to go to get another job. So any time in life when it's unsteady, it's uncertain, when life just ain't working. Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't limit yourself to your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, trust him, love him. And there was a time in the first century, the early church, where a group of folks were having a real hard time in their faith. They were Jewish Christians. It appears that it was a community, a, a, a group of churches at a particular location. The book of Hebrews is very vague about who it was written to, but it appears to have been written to a congregation. And this congregation was going through difficult times. It speaks over and over again in the book of Hebrews about suffering and about difficulty and about strain. And there are five different places in the book of Hebrews where it actually warns them against abandoning the faith. These people were so discouraged. Christianity so wasn't working for them that they were saying, we're going to go back to Judaism. 
And what the writer of Hebrews was helping them understand is that the reason their Christian life wasn't working is that they weren't working it. For it to work, you got to work it. And that's more profound than it sounds. If it's going to work, you've got to work it. Think about the guy who says, you know, Weight Watchers doesn't work. I tried it. I didn't lose any weight. Nutrisystem isn't working either. Munch, bite of his jelly donut. I'm trying that, it ain't working. No, 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 no. The problem isn't with Weight Watchers. The problem isn't with Nutrisystem. The problem is you, Dumbo. You can't eat jelly donuts. If, you gotta, if it's gonna work, you gotta work it. It's the same with the Christian faith. And so the writer of Hebrews opened this epistle, this word of encouragement to these very discouraged Christians for whom the Christian life really wasn't working very well. Just like some of us. Times it works and sometimes you say, what's the difference between my pagan neighbor and me? I don't. And the writer of Hebrews is saying is if you want the Christian life to work, you have to understand foundationally. Christianity is not a set of rules and regulations and rituals. Christianity is about a relationship. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about a relationship that is so vibrant, so dynamic, so alive, so deeply rooted that when difficult times come up, your first thought is trust in the Lord. Trust Jesus. And so the writer said, if I'm going to encourage you to trust Jesus, the first thing I have to do is help you understand Jesus. You see, I, I, I referred to the early days of marriage and getting to know each other. That took time. That took time of listening and talking and sharing and being in each other's presence. And for the Christian life to work, it takes time to be in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. It takes time in his word where he speaks to us. It takes time in prayer where we communicate with him. It takes times of silence where we just let our minds rest and ask God to, to teach us, to guide us by guiding our minds to trust him. And so the question before the house is, why should I trust Jesus? Well, the writer tells us, if you have your Bible, please turn to Hebrews chapter 1, where the writer introduces us, first of all, to this whole new way of life. Now, he's writing to Jews. He's writing to Hebrew Christians. And so he began this way. In the past, God spoke to our fathers, our ancestors, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So the first thing he did is validate what we call the Old Testament, what the Jews call the Tanakh, their Bible. He said, God did speak to our fathers. 
in many portions and in many ways. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke through miracles. He spoke through floods. He spoke through all these different ways. And he spoke at various times. And so these people were used to having prophets who spoke to them from God. God spoke to our fathers. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Wow. So God incarnated his message. God said, you, 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 you're not getting it, my friends. So I'm going to speak to you in a way that you just can't miss. Of course, they missed it and we miss it, but it's a whole lot clearer than words on a page. He said, my ultimate revelation to you is Jesus Christ. So as we read about his life, as we read these Old Testament prophets and the Psalms and the writings and the stories and we see how God moved in those days and spoke to his people, the writer of Hebrews uses a lot of those same Old Testament passages from, from when God spoke to the fathers through the prophets in many portions in many ways. And he used those passages to show us how that whole Old Testament was leading up to this grand ultimate revelation in his son Jesus. Well, who is this Jesus? Well, he, gives a, he gave us seven, seven uh, uh, points, seven facts about this, crucial facts about this son he gives us Jesus' resume. And you have to understand that these pictures are very limited. Uh, he's using finite imagery to explain infinite reality. It's limited. Our minds are limited. I remember three years ago in the new members class, Floyd and I used to teach about the, tr <laughs> the Trinity and the Incarnation. And we look at each other and say, do we have any idea what we're talking about? <laughs> They're called the great mysteries of the faith. But as nearly as we can get our mind around, what is this? Who is this great revelation? Who is this Jesus Christ? Well, he said, first of all, uh, that, that he, God spoke to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And that phrase is taken from Psalm 2. And this first chapter and these early chapters of, of Hebrews draws heavily on Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. They're called royal psalms. They're called messianic psalms. They're called coronation psalms. They were songs that were sung when a new heir of David was crowned to be the next king of Judah the next king of Israel, the next king of God's chosen people. Because God made a covenant with David, and he said, one of your sons, one of your descendants, will rule the earth with peace and righteousness and justice. And he's going to change the world. So every time a new king in Israel was coronated, they sang these psalms, hoping, praying that maybe, maybe this one will be the one. None of them were. Until Jesus. And he said, my son has inherited that role of the king. The king of the world. 
That's what it means when it says he appointed him heir of all things. That language from Psalm 2 essentially is saying the king of kings has come. He has initiated the kingdom through whom also he made the universe. The second point, he appointed him heir of all things. He appointed him um, uh, as, as uh, also made him, uh, he was the one, let me start that over again. Through whom also he made, and the word is ages. He made the Ion. It's the word used in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this Ion, this way of life, this kingdom, this movement of God through the world. But be transformed by renewing your mind. Think God's thoughts. This, this thing that he created, through whom also he created the movement of history through the universe. He created, he didn't just create planets, stars, he created reality. He created from the beginning this whole movement, this whole movement of history, of people and kingdoms down through the ages, through whom he made the universe. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. Put it this way. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So don't think the writer of Proverbs, of, of, of Hebrews, what he says, he, he made the ages, he made the Ion. He's just talking about planets and physical stuff. He created reality, thrones and powers and all that's going on around our world and around our universe. He set all that in motion. When God said, let there be light, and he said, let there be life, he created a grand movement that he will ultimately culminate with the return of Christ, through whom he made the ages. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. It's that, that, that passage, that verse is used to show the, the relationship, the, the oneness between the Father and the Son. The, 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 it's like when we see the, the sun, S-U-N, the, the, what we see is the effulgence. We see the rays coming from the sun, but we also say that what I'm seeing is what the sun is producing. I don't separate the sun's rays from the sun. It's just what the sun emanates. And he's saying Jesus emanates. He is just part, as much of God as God. He is God. And he's the exact representation of his being. Not only is he one with God, but he is also separate from God. He is the exact representation of his being. That's why in John 14, Jesus said to Thomas, who Thomas said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The, the imagery used in, in the, the, the passage here is, is of, a, of a, a stamp that made coins. And you look at the coin and you look at the stamp and they're exactly the same. A modern day thing would be a, a copier. Now, this morning I went and this is the uh, advertisement for our missions. And I made a copy of it on the copier. 
I can't tell, well I can because, of, but if it, you, you look at the two, you, I don't know which is the original, which is the copy. You ever done that? You think which is the original? See, when I was looking at this, I was eating a piece of pumpkin pie. And there's a thumbprint, a little pumpkin pie. You know what? There it is. <laughs> yeah. So even your mistakes show up. Yeah, and Jesus is the exact whatever God is, Jesus is. That's what he's helping us understand. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. And he sustains all things. What, does that mean he's like Atlas holding the world? No, 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 no. That's a static kind of a thing. It's not just that Jesus is keeping things in order. Go back again to Colossians. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this word pharaon, this word of he sustains, he moves things toward its, toward its ultimate goal. He created the ages. He created the ions. Remember we said that. And now he is moving. He is active in our universe, in our life, in our nation, in our churches. He is active at moving all of this toward the grand culmination of his return. He is in charge. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And then he says, finally, after he had provided purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So five of these things talk about his power and creation and control. The grand power of God in that way. And notice the last two. Change of theme. Change of focus. The same Jesus whom... God appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. And the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's the one who made purification for sins by dying on the cross. That very God of very gods became very human. He couldn't die in our place unless he was one of us. Jesus died so that you and I could have life. He made purification for sins. He came because he loved you that much. It's pretty amazing. And then this image where he sat down at the right hand of the Father speaks of his ministry as our high priest. And we find this throughout numerous places, uh, 4, 7, and 10, especially in the book of Hebrews. He elaborates on Jesus' ministry as our high priest. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find help in your time of need. Because you're coming to Jesus, the high priest, who died for you, now he lives for you to give you a sense that you matter. You matter to God. You are important to God. So much so that he died to open the gates of heaven. To welcome you in. And once you have accepted Jesus as your personal savior. You are now in a relationship with him where he, Jesus, is seated. It's, it's all imagery. There's no right hand. It's not... 
once again, we're using finite imagery to explain infinite reality. But to help us understand, it's like the father's on the throne and Satan comes and says, did you see what Floyd did last week? Man, he did that again. Jesus said, he's one of mine. Shut up and go away. I'll deal with Floyd. <laughs> Pardon me for picking on your feet. Just right there, what can I do? And next week, he's going to sit in the back. But what a beautiful picture. And, and let me read about these last two things. After he made purification for sins. And by the way, by the way, if you've never heard this message about what Jesus is, is, is all about, and you've never entered into a personal relationship with him by saying, Jesus, I am a sinner, and, and, and I confess that I need you, and I ask you to, to save me from my sin, don't leave here without talking. We'll have two folks down here at the end to pray with you or, or any of us. But this is the most crucial state, uh, decision you'll ever make in your life. He came to open the gates of heaven for you. And if you have never entered through those gates by accepting, accepting his gift of salvation, it's a life changer. It's a life changer. F.F. Bruce talking about the first f contrast between the first five things the writer said about Jesus in the last two. He said, the wisdom which created the worlds and maintains them in due order may well beget in us a sense of wondering awe. Does that make sense? The wisdom which created the worlds and maintains them in due order may well beget in us a sense of wondering awe. But the grace which has provided a remedy for the defilement of sin by a life freely offered up on our behalf calls forth a sense of personal indebtedness which the contemplation of divine activity on the cosmic scale could never evoke. He says, great, worship God, love God, praise him for this universe, for this power of bringing all this into being. But then stop and reflect and say, but then there's also this other thing that you did. This thing that you did for me. I look at creation and I look with awe and wonder. I look at Jesus on the cross and I look at the empty tomb and I look at God with worship and gratitude and love. I say, thank you for what you have made. And thank you for what you have done for me. Both are essential. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is when you sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Ask yourself, is that true? Do I know this? Do I believe this? When life gets tough, when I'm discouraged, when I'm afraid, when I'm angry, do I trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding and do what I might normally do when I'm scared or angry or frustrated, but I say, Lord, help me. Jesus loves me, this I know. 
Our response would be, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now.